0: The Bible compares the work of spiritual leadership to that of shepherding sheep. It's one of the many comparisons that are made there, and it's made because the loving care and vigilance that's needed for spiritual leadership find it, it finds many parallels in the ancient practice of shepherding sheep, especially when we consider how much care, how vulnerable sheep are to attack, how much care they need for their daily lives. And so it's fascinating to consider how many of Israel's leaders began as shepherds. We've read of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob now. In Exodus, we will read of the Lord arranging in his sovereignty 40 years of shepherding for Moses in the wilderness before he is ready to lead his people out of Egypt. Later on, we read of David, King David, the greatest of the kings, the king to which God compares the other kings, the king who began as a lowly shepherd boy. Even God himself is described at multiple points in Scripture as a shepherd For the people. As we read in Genesis forty eight last time. So we read in that famous Psalm, Psalm twenty-three, the Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want. Shepherding is the image that's given in Scripture because of all that it entails, but we also see In scripture, images of false leaders who are described as false shepherds. They're the ones who take advantage of God's people. One commentator notes that while the metaphor of a shepherd suggests tender care, it can also depict harsh, abusive. Autocratic rule. We can imagine how that might be. But we can also see examples of this in Scripture. For instance, let's turn to the book of Judges, which we will discuss briefly tonight in our overview of the Old Testament. Judges, we'll go to Judges chapter 2 and consider the sons of Eli, the high priest, They also followed into ministry, became priests. And in verses 12 through 14, we read that they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, followed other gods. That's Israel. But then the sons also followed along. We read, I've mismarked the verses here. We read that they are worthless men. Sons of Belial, Belial, they're wicked. When a man was offering a sacrifice, I'll just go ahead and read it from my notes here. The the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot and all that the fork brought up the priest would take for himself. They would take the food. They would take the fat, which the Lord had commanded them not to do. And they were doing other things like lying with, with the women in the temple. And I just realized that is actually First Samuel 2, not Judges, 1 Samuel 2. I don't know why I put down Judges. I guess cuz I was thinking about Judges tonight. So that was Judges or excuse me, 1 Samuel 2. Eli was very old verse 22 says, he heard all that his son heard all of all that his sons were doing to all of Israel, how they lay with women who served at the doorway and at the tent of meeting, and he said to them, "Why do you do such things? The evil things that I hear from all the people." but they did not stop. What were they doing? They were taking advantage of their opportunity as leaders in Israel. They were taking the food from the people. They were taking advantage of women and they were doing all other banner of evil. And even as their father confronted them, they would not stop the right thing for their father as chief priest or as high priest would have been to dismiss them if you're going to be doing all this then you need to step down unfortunately he does not do that scripture is full of examples of like this though those who god calls out those who god calls out because they fleece his flock Ezekiel 34, for instance, is a lengthy prophecy against such false shepherds. And that includes a prophecy that a good shepherd would arise. In Matthew 7, 15, Jesus warns, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous Wolves, and you've heard that expression, wolves in sheep's clothing, that's where it comes from. They hide amongst the sheep. And then they strive for their own personal gain. They are willing to hurt God's people to achieve it. Well, who exemplifies this in Jesus's day better than the Pharisees? And Jesus addresses them as such in this chapter. This account immediately follows the previous chapter where he is dealing or where he had healed the blind man. And the Pharisees then proceed for the next chapter to try to dissuade this Uh, this testimony, this blind man to try to disprove that Jesus had actually healed this man to deny the reality of a miracle taking place. Well, Jesus, at the end of the chapter, eventually just calls them blind. You're blind, essentially. And he now implies in this chapter that they're deaf as well. This is an image-rich chapter. I love this chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, in the book of John. It's full of theology. There's theology of penal substitution, for instance, that Jesus is actually dying in our place for our sins. Such Such a precious doctrine. But this is overall one of those great chapters Attesting to the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. An identity that the Pharisees are striving so hard to deny. And that's what makes them the false leaders of Israel. He is the Messiah that God has chosen. And yet they're going to lead people astray. But nonetheless, despite the schemes of man, the word of God remains. And Jesus attests to them exactly who he is. And in this section, we see two truths about his identity standing out. First, we see that he is the true shepherd of the sheep. He is the true shepherd of the sheep. And the second thing we see is this. He's the true protector of the sheep. He's the true protector of the sheep. But let's consider the first of those. He is the true shepherd of the sheep, verses 1 through 5 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because he, because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus is the shepherd of the sheep we are reading the first 10 verses here, but if we continued on down to verse 11 today, we would see him say just that, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He is the good shepherd who fulfills prophecy. As I said, he fulfills uh, Ezekiel 34, for instance. There's another prophecy, Zechariah thirteen seven, that he fulfills. Zechariah 13, 7, which says this, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man my associate, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, that the sheep may be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. What is being said there? Well, Jesus cites that toward the end of his life, The night he is betrayed so that they would understand that when they are scattered, this is also to fulfill prophecy. The shepherd would be struck and the sheep are then scattered. Now that's talking about his arrest. That's talking about what would come where he is laying down his life willingly for his people. But we got to work our way there. We're not quite there yet. Jesus is. Still free at this moment here in John 10, and he's been saying to them truth. And he's been saying one of his truly, truly statements here in verse one of chapter 10. It's uh, verily, verily in the King James. It's a double amen statement in the original language. And he adds weight to the address by doing that. He's saying this is something very important for you to hear. And this is following right on the hills of his discussion with them in verse, or in chapter nine, where he called them blind, where they said that they're not blind, essentially. Well, he's about to show them some truth. He wants them to see this truth. And what is this truth? Well, first, it's that he's the shepherd, but to to, to get there, we need to understand these images. Uh, th- their world is different from our world, and so we need to uh, pick this apart for just a moment, and then we'll put it back together. Let's, let's first consider what is a sheepfold. What is a sheepfold? Well, this is an uncovered area. Uh, many of you probably have areas like this. Uh, since we do have farmers and ranchers in our congregation, you might have an area like this. It's an uncovered uh, courtyard area. In some cases, that uh, would have been fenced in like a pen. Uh, typically, though, the fencing would have been very high to protect from thieves and robbers. And sometimes it would even be uh, a wall that was erected there uh, to discourage uh, stealing. Sometimes it would actually be in a cave, you would have the sheepfold in a cave. Um, And that would serve not only to hold the sheep in place, but to discourage uh, not only the thieves, but also predators that might come along. Now, of course, none of this is absolute security. For instance, if you have a fence uh, or a wall, thieves can still scale uh, those structures, right, and come in under the cover of darkness. But there was a sense in which there would be a little bit of protection provided. And the next image that is provided here is the door. Uh, This would sometimes be a gate. Uh, Obviously, there'd need to be some kind of opening in the fencing or in the wall. And there would sometimes be a gate there. Sometimes there wouldn't be anything there at all. You might be surprised and say, well, (laughs) why wouldn't there be something there? Because usually there is a person there, a person stationed there, Uh, either the shepherd himself or a hired watchman, a porter someone who would uh, either keep the door or he would himself serve as the door uh, while the shepherd accomplished other tasks. Well, those are two of the images. The third image here is a sheep, the sheep. Now, of course, as I just said, we have folks here who, who handle livestock, who handle sheep. Uh, some of our youth have even helped out with that, I understand, which is which is very neat and This is probably perhaps one of the images that's the most familiar to us because we've seen sheep. Well, as one commentator notes, and this might not be a surprise to you if you have seen sheep, they are the most helpless, defenseless, straying and dirty of all animals. They require constant oversight, leading, rescue, and cleaning, or they will die. (laughs) If their wool isn't trimmed, for instance, it can become so matted down with mud and debris that they just simply become immobile. And if they're left unsupervised, they will walk off cliffs or get themselves stuck into ditches or... Uh, crevices. And because they don't have claws or large teeth, they can't defend themselves very well against predators. Now that doesn't stop them from becoming combative at times, which does create difficulties for the weary shepherd. Now throughout scripture, people good and bad are compared to sheep. And so this this image is perhaps the most uh, obvious image to us. We're talking about people here when we're talking about sheep. Some see that as a as an insulting term, don't compare me to a sheep, but it's not meant to offend. It, it is, however, an apt description of us if you if you're honest with yourself. If you think about it, we often get ourselves into trouble that we should have seen coming. And then when help comes, we resist it, (laughs) right? Now, those are some of the poorer qualities, but I will have to say that there are some also good qualities here that we can emulate when it comes to sheep. It's not all meant to be bad. As one commentator notes, Sheep are meek and quiet without noise. They are patient under the hand of both the shearer and of the butcher. They're useful and profitable. They are tame and tractable to the shepherd and sociable one with another, and you and much used in sacrifices. All of these can be good qualities and a person and in, in an individual but in any event as we've noted the religious leaders of israel are often referred to as shepherds because why the people of israel are often compared to the sheep the flock of god and the leaders of israel would then be the shepherds of god's people But we see yet another image here, thieves and robbers, the villains. Thieves and robbers who prey upon God's people. And you say, well, is there really a difference? There's a subtle difference. Thieves are typically those who sneak over walls and abscond with the sheep. They plunder in secret. I'll give you an example of that. Judas Iscariot was a thief might remember he was taking care of the money. What was he doing with the money as Jesus is going around and preaching around this time? He's stealing it. He's plundering the bag. He's a thief. A robber, on the other hand, is a man of violence. He might even come through the doorkeeper. He might kill or slaughter to obtain the whole flock, And there is a man who serves as an example of that as well within this gospel, Barabbas. Barabbas. I remember when the people have an option to either uh, get Jesus released back to them or some other man, uh, Pilate puts forward a man who they who he thought the people would reject because he's a robber. He's a violent, murderous man. And he says, shall I return to you, Jesus or Barabbas? But to his surprise, the people uh, had turned on Jesus so much that they said Barabbas. And Jesus took Barabbas' place on the cross, a place between two, not thieves, robbers. We often say that wrong. They weren't the thieves on the cross. They were the robbers on the cross. I say it wrong too sometimes. I have to check. I, I, I have to check myself now, after studying this, because these were men who were sentenced to crucifixion because of their violence, because of how dangerous they were. Well. If the sheep are God's people, then who are these thieves and these robbers? Well, they would be the false prophets and the false teachers who assailed Israel. Who assailed God's people. That would include the Pharisees and the Sadducees of that day. As one study notes, the Pharisees had secured their power by illegitimate means. You might remember Mark eleven seventeen, where Jesus says, "You have turned the house of prayer into a robbers' den, a robbers' den." False religion can be likened unto robbery, not just theft, but robbery. And so Jesus comes as the true shepherd, and he doesn't climb over the wall. No, no, he walks right through the door of the temple. And he is walking in for his people. And he's running out the villains. Now, when it comes to shepherding, because Jesus is the true shepherd, this is a term that is applied to Christian ministry today. As one study notes, Peter used the same term to other preachers, applying it to other preachers, 1 Peter 5.2. And Paul uses it later for bishops or elders in Acts 20, 28. Our word pastor is simply Latin for shepherd. Pastor is actually not a word from the original languages of the Bible. It's a Latin term. The biblical term is shepherd. It's shepherd. And that's something that Pastors or shepherds should be today. They should care for God's people. In fact, the truth is that Jesus, because he is the true shepherd, he is the good shepherd. What are pastors today? But under shepherds. We are under his command. We're, we're, we're more like the the porter, the doorkeeper in verse three here. We open the door to the true shepherd. That's all we do we just watch the sheep. Jesus is the voice of our commands. And as Jesus comes in, I guess we could say something else here. It's been light that the, the doorkeepers also been likened unto the Holy Spirit who opens the doors of our hearts, right? To Jesus. We're, we're, we're just simply to be faithful in our discharge of our duties being instruments of the Lord's use until he returns. But in any setting, there are both believers and unbelievers. And the sheepfold here may have had sheep that are owned by different shepherds. And as the shepherd would go along, he could call out at different points along the wall, along the fence, and his sheep would just simply come to him. The sheep that are not his would not come to him. There's one resource notes here. Several flocks might have been herded in the same fold overnight, but the shepherd knows his own. The shepherd knows his own. And those who are the Lord's will hear his voice. And there's a lot to hearing the voice of the true shepherd in this chapter. Verses four and five here. Verse 16, we'll get we'll we'll see that again. Verse 27, we'll see it again. So what does it mean to, to, to hear the voice of the shepherd? What does that mean? Well, first, uh, the the image is if we carry it on for just a little bit further, we don't want to ever take too much out of a figure of speech. This is an illustration, but we can take it a little further and know that sheep can distinguish voices. Sheep are smart enough to understand uh, the difference between the shepherd and a stranger. They can understand they will not listen to a stranger, even if he even if he speaks the same commands as the shepherd. If I were to go to your flock and, and you tell me the commands to the sheep, they would not listen to me, even though I'm saying the same words, because mine isn't the same voice, right? The sheep can distinguish the nuances of speech there. But it means more than that. Because often in scripture, the word hear, H-E-A-R, hear, is synonymous with the word obey. To hear is to obey, biblically speaking. Because we can hear things that we ignore, right? Any parent in here can tell you that that is the case. We can hear things that we can ignore. We can have selective hearing. You might even remember your own childhood on that. We can have selective hearing. But we want to hear and to obey. See, biblically speaking, to hear and not obey is to not hear at all. It's to be deaf. But in this case, the sheep, the Christians, they, they, they hear the voice of the Lord. What does that mean? They, they hear him speak and they respond. When he says, believe, what do the sheep do? They believe, they respond in faith. That is what it is to hear. And those who belong to Christ, By divine election are the Lord's sheep. They may not have been sheep before in practice but when they finally hear that voice for the first time and they and they obey by by repenting from their sins and believing they then prove that they are his sheep. They are the ones for instance as Jesus had said in John 6:37 that the father has given to the son. That's how they're his sheep because the father gave them to the son. And the Lord says that when they come to him, he will in no wise cast them out. They will come and he will hold on to them. In fact, he he knows them so well as his sheep. He even knows them by name. And I hope you see that we're talking about us here as we're digging into this. He knows us by name. What do I mean? Well, in ancient shepherding, a sheep or an owner would give each sheep a name. And in the same way, the good shepherd calls each of us. He calls each of us. And we even see in places like Revelation 13:8 that these are names written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. He knows us and he sets his love on us before we were even born. And beloved, as you struggle with your sin. And you, you realize, I, I am unworthy of his attention, his grace, his love. Know that he set his love on you from the foundation of the world. You're not going to change that now. Even though you're being a little stubborn at times as a sheep, you're still his. You're still part of his flock. And nothing's going to change that. He knows his own. He knows each of us by name. And we read here that he leads them out. He puts forth his own and he goes ahead of them. Rather than taking advantage of of the people of God, he leads his sheep to pasture. He leads them as he said clearly in verse nine, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and I will and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, there's a little bit different as we as we consider this image that's before us. It's a little bit different than Western shepherding practices, which we might be more familiar with. He doesn't drive the sheep forward. Let's say a sheepdog. Rather, he goes out in front. And he leads them. He doesn't drive them, he leads them. And they follow. Much like a master and discipleship relationship, he leads and we follow. And that gives a lesson to us as pastors, as as leaders of any stripe. We should lead from the front. We don't push from behind. We lead from the front, right? And that's what he does. And the sheep should know the shepherd. They follow him and no other. They don't follow the voice of another or of a stranger. This is something he emphatically says here in verse 5. They simply will not follow. There's no way that they follow. And this is a comfort to believers because we might be afraid that there might be someone who leads us astray from the Lord. Are there people who want to lead us astray? Oh, yes. Yes, there are. There is danger out there. There are thieves, there are robbers, there are wolves out there. And there are a lot of competing voices, false voices, 2 Peter 2.1, which would seek to lead us astray. And then, of course, 1 John 2.18 warns that there are not just, there's not just the one Antichrist, there are, in fact, many Antichrists in the world. Jesus himself in Matthew 24 24 warns that there will be false Christs and prophets who will give signs and wonders to try to mislead the people of God if it is possible to mislead them. Now, of course, that is to say it's not possible. Thankfully, it's not possible. The ones who go out Prove, as First John says, they prove that they were never truly of us. The ones who apostatize. The ones who deconstruct their faith, as they say today, and and rejecting Jesus Christ. Those are the ones who were never truly saved. They were never truly Christian. They never truly have been changed by the message. And they began to follow a false voice. We don't need to fear that. Thankfully, because as Jesus says here, the sheep know the voice of the shepherd and will not follow another voice. There is no way that they will. How do sheep respond to false voices? They try to get away from the unfamiliar. They try to get away from the unfamiliar. As one Bible teacher of the past noted, the sheep should run away from the strange voices that call them to false philosophy, false psychology, false ethics, false religion, false life. Well, how do how do we recognize it? Well, what it, what do we do with our want kids every week we have them repeat 2 Timothy 2:15. Study To show thyself approved unto God. How do we know what voices are true and what voices are false? We study. We are diligent to rightly handle, rightly divide the word of truth. That's how we know which voice is true and which voice is false. And when we recognize a voice is false, we stay away from that voice. We only stay with the true. Because we want to follow the true shepherd, not a false one. And so there are sheep that the father has given to the son, and he says that they will follow him. And he said he continues on John six thirty nine. He said this. This is the will of him who sent me that of all that he has given to me. I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. He, as the true shepherd, will protect the sheep. And that brings us to the second point tonight, or today, this morning, whatever time it is, since it's time change Sunday. (laughs) Jesus is the true protector of the sheep. He's the true protector of the sheep. And let's look again at verses 6 through 10. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, But they did not understand what those things were, which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved And will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, these false teachers of Israel, they didn't understand the Messiah their Messiah. And there are two reasons why they didn't understand their Messiah. The, the The first reason is said here very clearly that Jesus is speaking to them in a figure of speech. He's speaking to them as the new King James says in an illustration The King James has the word parable, although this isn't exactly the same word that's translated parable in the previous Gospels. There might be some nuance in terminology here, but the main point is that Jesus is using rhetoric, he's using illustrations, he's using figures of speech to illustrate truth to believers while at the same time hiding it from unbelievers. See, this is why Jesus spoke in parables. We can see this very clearly. Matthew chapter 12, we have recorded there, the unpardonable sin where they are rejecting Jesus, rejecting Jesus, rejecting Jesus. And they get to the point where they say, you actually uh, cast out demons by the prince of demons. Jesus says, you are likening the work of the Holy ghost unto Satan, unto the devil. This is just unpardonable. They, they had the truth. They were rejecting it. And it's there in Matthew 12 that we read about that. Matthew 13, guess what? He starts speaking in parables and everybody's scratching their heads. And he says to the disciples later when they get in private with them and they ask him, why do you speak in this way? He says to you, it has been given not to them. Not to them. He didn't speak in parables to make things clearer. He spoke in parables to obscure truth from the unbelievers. Now, of course, the believers, the disciples, they were still struggling. And if you ever struggle with words that you read here, you're in good company. <laughs> it's okay. You say, yeah, Jesus was saying something, but I don't always get it. That's okay. Okay. You ask him. And just as we read in the next verse here, he's always ready to explain. He's always ready to say again what the truth is. The Pharisees didn't understand everything because he's speaking in this way. They also didn't understand everything he was saying because they just simply aren't his sheep. They are the unbelievers. Verse 26, he he tells them directly, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. You're not of my sheep. That's why they don't believe, because they're not his sheep. If they were his, they would listen to his voice, but by rejecting his words, they prove that they have another shepherd. There's only one other shepherd, ultimately, and that's the devil. That's the devil. And he is not a good shepherd, to say the least. But in verse 7, again, he says another one of his verily, verily, or truly, truly statements. As one commentator notes, he's always ready to explain. If you are having trouble with his word, pray about it, and, and, and continue to study. Continue to study. Now, when he says... That he is the door, it might seem like he's switching images. Wait a minute, he's a shepherd, now he's a door? What's going on? This really isn't so much of a change of imagery as much as it is a practice that we are just unaware of. Like I said, sometimes the door to the sheep, there wasn't actually a door there. It was just an opening in the wall. How How did the shepherd make sure that the sheep stayed inside? Well, he stayed there. He stayed there. Sometimes he would have a hired hand who would come and sit there, but sometimes he himself would stay there. He he would sometimes lay down and sleep at the doorway of the sheep. And he himself then becomes literally the door to the sheep, keeping the sheep in protected, keeping dangers outside. This is what our da- what, what our Savior does. He keeps us safe from these dangers. He protects us, and he explains that he is the way, as the door to gain entrance into the sheepfold. You want to get into the sheepfold, you have to come through him. Thieves and robbers at that moment are put on notice. The false prophets of Israel's past who tried to lead the people astray, are condemned by the true shepherd who now walks in and says that he is the Messiah. The false leaders have perverted the religion of the people so much that they have tied heavy burdens on the backs of God's people. And they have perverted the religion in such a way that they were trying to make the Messiah look like he was a lawbreaker. Well, you don't keep our tradition. Well, who are you to be putting your man-made traditions on the backs of the people of God? This is a true Messiah coming in. This is the true shepherd coming in. And he is now there to beat back the wolves. To beat back the thieves. To beat back the robbers. Jeremiah 23.1 says this. The Lord declares. Woe to the shepherds. Who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. Ooh. The true shepherd has come. And woe to those. Who would lead the people of God falsely. He's the way. Thankfully, the Lord has always had his remnant who would not listen to the thieves, to the robbers, to the false voices. And they come to the Messiah. They become God's people. and That leads us to the next way that he's the door. He's the door in the sense that no one can come into the fold except through him. This is also a good way in which we come in. He says that he had sheep, for instance, in verse 16, his sheep who are not of this fold, but they are also his sheep. And he's going to bring them in. That's talking about the Gentiles. But we can think about the fact that we each at some point have been brought into the fold of God. And we have been brought in through Jesus Christ. We all become the people of God. We all entered that one fold. And so in verse 9, he says, again, he's the door. He says, if anyone enters through me, that person will be saved. That person will go in and out and find pasture. Paul told the jailer in Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, he says, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For as with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. This is a promise of spiritual salvation to each one of us, to every person who believes. And that implies that there is universal sin out there. That we all need to be saved, right? We all need to be saved. But he offers salvation to all. In fact, if we are limiting this in any way, it's only limited by the number of doors being provided. How many doors are there? One. I am the door, he says. And and John 14:6 he says i am the way he also says he is the truth he also says he is the life if anyone's going to get to the father how are they go- how are they going to get there through him you say that sounds kind of narrow minded aren't there other ways not according to him I mean, you might imagine that there are other ways, I guess. But it's not going to go well for you if you put your faith and trust in that. I'm going to trust what he says. He's the way, the truth, and the life. This is how we get in. There is only one way. And if you believe, he, he, he gives you this precious promise. And it's a, peace, it's a promise of peace. You say, what is that peace? Imagine a sheep just just quietly strolling out to pasture. That's the promise of peace here. of, Of provision, of safety. This is what he offers up. He's the good shepherd leading us to true food. Leading us away from any real harm. He guides us to where we need to be. He leads us in paths of righteousness, Psalm 23 says. He leads us back to the sweet rest. We go in, we come back. And we can know that our hearts and souls are secure under the watchful care of the shepherd overnight until the next day. There's going to be provision, there's going to be protection And this leads us to those precious words in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and to destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. The the thief comes to take what isn't his. He takes the sheep. He, He kills it. Literally, he slaughters it, as you might imagine one does with a sheep. He wants to eat it. He destroys it. What does Jesus do for the sheep? He offers life and life more abundantly. This is what he offers. Now, I should briefly address something here because there is a false teaching out there called the abundant life doctrine. It's a teaching that says God wants you to just be uh, happy. God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to be, you know, God just wants you to have anything you want, basically, you know. And so just ask him. He'll give you anything. That's not a promise that's made in scripture. And, you know, the truth is that sometimes a Christian life does come with suffering. There is heartache out there. There are wolves out there. Our shepherd will ultimately protect us, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to have those moments where we think, oh, no, could this be it? Some Christians were even martyred for their faith. This teaching usually comes from false shepherds who want you to give to them as an expression of your faith in this false doctrine. They're the ones who say, well, it's just so the seed of faith. Give me money and God will give you money. And then when you don't get that money later on, they say, well, you just didn't have enough faith. And guess what? They get to walk away with your money. (laughs) They're fleecing the sheep. They're fleecing the sheep. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about eternal life. Life with God. You don't ever have to fear being separated from God. You're going to have life with the eternal God. You're going to have the good guidance of our God and Savior. You're going to have eternal life that starts today, not just after you die by and by. This is now you get eternal life. This is life that even gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist Romans 4:17 Jesus said back in John 5:39 and 40 you search the scripture because you think that in them you have eternal life it is these that testify about me and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life Theologians refer to this teaching as regeneration. He is going to make you alive. He's going to give you life. He's not going to take life from you. He's going to give you life, a life that you did not have before. And it's going to be a life of blessing. Yes, indeed, as he is sanctifying you, as he is cleansing you, he's going to give you good pastures. It's not going to always be what you want, but it's going to be what you need. He's going to give you everything, for instance, 2 Peter 1, 3, that you need for life and godliness. Everything that you need for life and godliness. So does that not include the new car? Not always. Not always. But he will give you what you need for life and godliness. say, yeah, but no, I actually have a need. Well, Hebrews 4.16, he offers grace in those times of need, and we can approach his throne boldly with confidence. Why? Because we're his sheep, and he's offering us life and life more abundantly. Ephesians 3.20, he is able to do far more abundantly above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. He's he's going to even give you the power to begin overcoming that sin that is so easily besetting you. You say, yeah, but not that sin. Yeah, even that sin. Whatever that sin is, he's going to give you life, and he's going to give you life abundant. This is what he's going to do. He's going to help you to live. See, thieves take, but Jesus gives. It may be that false teachers have discouraged you from following Jesus in the past, either because they have denied him or because their behavior has been such that they deny him in their conduct. They may have even claimed to follow him like some of the false prophets of Israel, like some of the false teachers I've mentioned. They've lived hypocritically, they've cheated people, and you have rightly recognized that they are wrong. But that's caused you to wonder if it's all false. It's not. I want you to hear the voice of the true shepherd this morning. The voice of the Savior. Because he calls those who came before him what they are thieves and robbers. But he comes now not to take like they did, but to give. He gives life, he gives grace, he gives eternal security. His is the voice I hope you will hear. And he says, this is the will of the father that you believe on him whom he has sent. I hope that you will believe him. I hope that you will believe that he provides this life, that he is the way, the truth and the life. Hear his voice and come to him. Entering into the true sheepfold. Under his care.